Well, Happy New Year. <laughs> Can you believe it is 2024 already? It's hard to believe. It feels like just a year ago we were standing here doing these very things. Time, time really does fly, doesn't it? It really does. Just this past Wednesday, my family and I celebrated our youngest son, Will's 10th birthday. And for those of you who were here at the time, you recall that when we first moved here, um, my son uh, hadn't yet been born. My wife was uh, great with pregnancy, and uh, Will was born just a couple of months after we got here, and you blink, and suddenly he's 10. Uh, blows my mind. As much as I, I love the young man that he's becoming, and I couldn't be more proud of the person that he is, and I couldn't love him more uh, than I do, if I'm being honest, his birthday this past week actually left me feeling kind of sad. Um, just as I reflect on how fast our kids are growing up. I sound like my mother saying that. You just grow up too fast. And I heard her say that. I heard, I've heard adults say that my whole life. Uh, and here now I'm the adult saying that, and it's just hard to, hard to believe. Uh, we no longer have a single-digit child in our house. He's now a double-digit. And he joins a 13-year-old and a soon-to-be next-week 16-year-old. Lord Jesus, help me. 16-year-old daughter in the house. What are we going to do? <laughs> She's wonderful. You know her. She's wonderful. Yeah. I remember when all three of them were born like it was yesterday. I, I really do. I can remember each of the different trips to the hospital and all those experiences. In a way, it feels like yesterday. And it's funny saying that because I remember when I was a kid hearing my parents talk about, you know, events that happened before I was born. And to me at the time, those things sounded like ancient history. Right, those things that my parents talked about from way back when, like the 60s. Oh my goodness, or the 70s. This seems so, yeah, you're laughing. And it's funny because as I think about you know, the memories that I'm talking about regarding my kids, they, to them, oftentimes they seem like ancient history. But I remember these things like, like they were yesterday. Time truly flies for all of us, don't it, doesn't it? It really does. But I'm grateful for mornings like this morning where we get to, to take a moment to reflect on the past, to think about the last year. I mean, that's what we do at, at New Year's. We think about the last year, and we, some of you, maybe all of you, maybe none of you, but we, people tend to make resolutions regarding the future. And I don't mean talking about, uh, I'm not talking this morning about, you know, committing to drop 15 pounds in 2024, although I myself wouldn't mind doing something like that. I'm not talking about taking up a new habit although maybe there's a, a new habit or a new hobby that would, would be beneficial to your life. What I'm talking about this morning as we're stepping into a new year and we're talking about things like making resolutions, I'm talking about viewing this morning as what I'm calling an inflection point with consequence. An inflection point with consequence. At the start of the year, we have an opportunity to be intentional in hitting the pause button on this life that we're living where we're just hurtling through time and we get into these rhythms and we get into this, the, the, we're kind of bound to it and we have a moment here where we're all, you're all seated and we can hit pause and be intentional to say, I know my life is chaotic. I know there's a lot going on. I know time is flying, but I want to review recent history and make certain decisions regarding what lies ahead. Now, the Bible is not silent about doing those types of things from time to time. 
The Bible does, is not, making a res- resolution is not anti-biblical in any way. I mean, when we're talking about making resolution, we're talking about, you know, coming to a, a point where we were willing to make a firm, a, a determined decision to do something, right? We're resolving to make, make, take action, to behave a certain way, or to abide by particular principles. I think of Psalm 119, verse 57, where the psalmist says, Lord, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. Do you hear the resolution in this, in this verse? It, it, the psalmist is saying, in light of a, of a particular fact or a particular truth, in this case, in light of sort of the mutual belonging that I have to you and you to me, you are my God, I am your man. In, in light of this reality, I therefore commit to a particular expression of this fact in my life. I'm going to take action. I'm going to do something. After thought, after decision, I'm taking steps along a particular trajectory which changes the outcome or the destiny of my life. Lord, you are mine. I am yours. I promise. I commit. I am resolved to obey your words. And it's okay to do that from time to time. It's okay to to catch our breath, evaluate the state of things, and make the necessary course corrections. But what I want to do this morning is, is add a little twist to that. I wonder if instead of reflecting on the past, right, we're, th- we, we always, we're thinking about the past, it's a new year, we're thinking about the past, we want to do something different for the future. I wonder if instead of reflecting on the past in, in our consideration of what we might change for 2024, I wonder if it might be helpful to take a few moments to reflect on the future, to reflect on the future. This past Advent, for those of you who are with us, you, you will recall that we spent our, our four weeks there together in the early chapters of the book of Isaiah. And we were looking at, at passages from the book of Isaiah that we're familiar with because they're quoted in the Gospels or in the New Testament somewhere. And so we, we took time to go back to the, the source material, as it were, and to look at those passages within their original context. Um, but there's a verse later in the book that is also quoted and referenced in the New Testament that you are familiar with that I want to focus on for just a few moments here. Um, to a people who were at their own major inflection point, right? This was, this was uh, delivered, this message was delivered to a people at a, a crisis, at a, a crossroads, at a moment of consequence for themselves, a people who had witnessed the ruin of the Davidic dynasty and a people who were on the, the threshold of invasion and exile as a result of their wickedness of their own recent history. God offers a vision through his prophet of a future that God has. We find it in chapter 65. It's only one verse that I'm going to read at this moment. I'm going to read a few other places throughout, but it's going to be on your screen. But Isaiah 65, verse 17 says this, Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. I am creating a new heavens and a new earth. How do you suppose that news was received by those people at that time. Now, I, I don't presume to know what was in the hearts of God's people, you know, all those many years ago, going through what they were going through in that particular point in history. I don't presume to know, you know, how I would necessarily respond. If, if I'm putting myself in their shoes and I'm, I'm hearing this message being proclaimed, I don't know exactly how I would naturally or instinctively respond to such, to such a, a statement. But I do know how God wants his people to respond in light of this truth. Because the very next verse, verse 18, says this. So I, 
Behold, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. Verse 18, you be glad. Rejoice forever in my creation. Do you hear, do you hear the command in light of the truth that has just been proclaimed? In light of the fact that God is working to renew his creation, a process that you and I know now on this side of history, a process that began with the incarnation of his one and only son at Christmas, and which will conclude when that son returns for his second coming. We know that this process of God renewing his creation and making all things new, in light of that, you and I, as the people of God today, are commanded to rejoice. We should and must be joyful and glad that God is doing these things. It's not a suggestion, but an exhortation. To not give in to the temptation that you and I might feel from day to day or week to week, living in this broken, fallen world, and we're being you know, hit every day with the headlines of, of things that are happening, and it's distressing, and it causes us to want to fear and to, to perhaps lose hope. But the scriptures say, no, yes, these These things are happening, but God will make all things new. It is something he is determined to do. It is something he's going to do. It is something he's actively working to accomplish. Therefore, you, despite what's going on, be glad. Be glad that God and his purposes have the final say in the end. Now, John picks this up in the book of Revelation. There in chapter 21. This is where you might be most familiar with this verse from Isaiah from the New Testament. There in in Revelation chapter 21, listen how John picks up this idea of a new heavens and new earth there, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 7. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So John, with the eyes of of, uh, prophecy, seeing future truth before it has yet to come to pass in history, he sees the fulfillment, the final fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy back so many years before. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I shared with you back in June that that last verse there, verse 7 of Revelation 21, that was the very verse that I read the moment that my father passed from this life to the next. Maybe you weren't here back in June. Maybe you were and you forgot, but that's okay. I won't hold it against you. But as my father was breathing his last breaths and I was sitting right by his side holding his hand along with my two brothers, it was such a blessing that three of us were were able to be there with him in his final moments. 
literally, as he breathed, his last, I felt, I talk about feeling like it was yesterday. It was it'll be seven years ago in February. I felt his last, literal last breath wash across my face as I read Revelation 21, verse 7. All who are victorious. will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. As hard as it was to, to be there and to watch, um, to watch my father pass away, I, I could rejoice. I could rejoice. Isn't that incredible? It, it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? It goes against all of our common sense. You would think in these moments of great loss that we would be overwhelmed by and consumed with grief and sorrow and pain. And, and that's not to say that those are bad feelings to feel in that moment. I'm not saying for those of you who've lost someone and felt that way that you were wrong. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that with the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can hear the word of God that makes such promises to us that in those moments of greatest loss, we can rejoice. We can be glad because we know that deep in our hearts that death is not the end for those who are in Christ Jesus. Death does not have the final say. God has promised to make all things new. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the living Proof that it is death that is dying and that it is death that has days that are numbered and it is death that will one day be gone forever. And though you face personal hardship and trials and difficulties today, I want you to be determined to let the truth that God is making all things new fill you with joy. Be determined to rejoice in the face of hardship be determined to rejoice in the face of suffering. It, as, if even death itself is knocking at your door, you can face it with a smile in your heart because you know that with God, death is not the end. Yes, we suffer now, but I'm confident that five seconds into heaven, you're going to look around and all the trials and chains and tears of this life are going to vanish forever they will become a distant memory. He will make all things new. And for that, we rejoice. But the Bible commands us to more than just rejoicing in light of these things. It also commands us to be holy. To be holy. When P Peter will pick up this, this idea from Isaiah as well. John wasn't the only one. Peter does the same thing. By, guided by the Holy Spirit, Peter picks up on this, this concept of, of a new heavens, of a new earth, of a new creation, what God is going to do, what God is doing through his son and will complete at his second coming. And Peter picks this vision up from Isaiah and he spells out additional implications for our lives today. And he says in, in uh, his second epistle here, in chapter three, verses eight through 14, listen to these words. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. 
He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And here's his since, or his therefore. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? You should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. That passage there, which we have read before, it's not the first time and it won't be the last time. That passage, in a lot of ways, preaches itself. It doesn't require a lot of of expounding from someone like me to, to help the congregation sort of grasp the message. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty in your face. It's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? His point is clear. If God is so consumed with hatred for sin and love for holiness that he is determined to purge the world of sin and renew his creation, then we too, that's the implication for us as his people. If this is God's heart, it should be our heart. We too should be so consumed with hatred for sin and a love for holiness that we too would work to purge it from our own lives. God isn't being slow. He's permitting suffering for a time. He's permitting wickedness and evil for a time. Not because he's slow or because it's out of his hands or it's out of control or he doesn't know what to do or he's lacking some sort of power in any way. No, he's not being slow or any of those things. He's being patient. He's being patient because it's not his heart to want to destroy anybody. Instead, he wants to destroy anything not of him in people. He views time differently than we do. He's not captive to it. It's not flying by to him. It's flying by to us. We feel like we're kind of lost in the tornado of time. God is, God is above it. God is beyond it. God is in control of it. He's the master of time. It doesn't master him. It doesn't determine anything for him. He determines it. And as the one who is the master of time, the one who wills time to even exist at all, God intends to use every millisecond of it to accomplish his purposes. Not just for all of history or for all of the world or even for all of the church, but even for you. He intends to use every millisecond of your life to accomplish his goals and his purposes in you. There is no wasted time as God sees it for your life. We love wasting time, don't we? <laughs> we love it. We, we, we go to work and we, we spend all of our days, all these hours at work, just dying for the 5, five o'clock p.m. to come around so we can go home and waste time. We're masters of wasting time, aren't we? And, and the scriptures tell us not to waste time. The scriptures tell us to redeem time. To, to trade away our, our wastefulness and replace it instead with something that is fruitful and productive and meaningful for, 
in alignment with God's purpose. God wants every second of your life to count, every second of your life to have consequence. He wants to use every second of your life to produce something in you that is of him. He is determined. Yes, in the grand scheme of time, in the grand scheme of things, at the end of time, he is determined he will come and destroy all sin and all wickedness forever. But until then, he is just as intentional and just as purposeful and desires just as much to come into your life and destroy any sin, any wickedness, any darkness that might be found in you. And the question is, how do we live in light of that? How do we respond to that? That God doesn't want to destroy me. God wants to destroy sin in me. And that's not something he's going to do unilaterally without your participation. He's not just going to come in and zap you against your will and do all the work for you. That's not what the scriptures say. You heard it from Peter. Peter says, in light of these things, in light of the fact that at the end of time, all of the universe is going to be burned up in fire. Can't imagine what that's going to look like. In light of that, what lives of holiness should you be living today? In light of these things, you and I make every effort As you evaluate your last year, and as you now think ahead of what the future holds, ask yourself this question, have you made every effort to be holy as God is holy? And if the answer is no, then the next question is, what needs to change? I'm not talking about a holiness of by works. So if you just do enough good things, you'll be like God. I'm not saying that. Obviously, God is the one who sanctifies. He's the one that cleanses. He's the one that empowers. He's the one who does the work within. But you and I have to do something in response to that. And there's a, a role that you and I play in living the kind of lives that, that Christ desires for us to live. Are you making every effort to live like him today? As we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth that has been promised, a world that we're told is filled with God's righteousness, we are to work at living holy and godly lives. How's that for a New Year's resolution? <laughs> Without putting uh, the person on the spot, I had a, a, one of my children on New Year's Eve as the ball is about to drop. I don't know why we still watch that. Like it's so ingrained. I cannot stand the, the nonsense that the TV broadcasts in preparation for that ball to drop. And honestly, I can't, st I can't stand any of it. And yet, for some reason, we still, we, it's like 11.59, oh, we got to watch the ball drop. So we turn on the TV to see the thing fall, and it's like, whatever. I don't know if you do that, but that's our tradition. I grew up watching Dick Clark and all that stuff. But anyway, um, as this is happening... One of my kids, and once again, I don't want to put him on the spot, said something along these lines. Something along the lines of, I don't want any, something like, I don't want any sin in my life. It's like, how? It's so profound. From a, from a, a young person. And I just thought, what an example to me. To be so determined to live a life 
that honors God. A life like Christ's. How's that for a New Year's resolution? How is that for a a firm and determined decision for the coming year to commit today in light of what is to come to rejoicing? Courtney used the expression Debbie Downer earlier. Is there room in the Christian life to be that? To mope around? To feel sorry for ourselves? To be, how about this one? Negative Nelly. Not Nelly May. Negative Nelly. Listen, if we if we are if we really believe that the what the Bible says that, that Christ has done, if we really believe the promises of what God is going to do, there's no room in the life for being negative or grouchy <laughs> or or grumbly or complainy. What'd you say? (laughs) There's no room for it. So we get to determine today to rejoice. I want that to be a weapon in your armory when you're tempted to give in to those things, to feel sorry for self, to mope, to be melancholy, to, to look for pity. It is in those moments when you get to fight back with the joy of the Lord. To not allow the brokenness that defines this world to shape your perspective or to hold you captive, but to allow the promise of new creation to cause you to rise above this present darkness in joyful anticipation. How is this for New Year's resolution? To commit in this moment, in light of what is to come, to live lives worthy of our calling. To no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the the power of the Holy Spirit. To, to do as Paul says in Colossians 3, to put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. That is not something God does to you or for you. That is something you do to yourself. You get to put it to death. He's not going to put to death sin in your life for you. You put it to death. That means you say, it will no longer live in me, and I'm going to draw upon the power that is available to me in, in absolute abundance. There's nothing that is lacking for you if you would draw upon the completed work of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's, it's not as if there's, there's just so much to do this part, but it's not enough to do it all. And the scriptures say, no, there's enough for sin, there's enough grace for sin to be dead in your life. Are you so determined for that to be the case? To put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, And he'll say in that chapter, chapter 3 of Colossians, at the beginning, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, therefore, on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, well, then you will share in all his glory. What a wonderful promise to the people of God. Let's choose today to live lives that are worthy of what is to come in joy and in holiness. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to commit to these things today. Pray, Lord, that you would enable us to believe them to be true, to believe that you indeed are making all things new and 
and you want to do your new creation work right here in my own heart. That yes, I, I have a history of sin. Yes, there's, there's old habits and there's old uh, chains that have, that have held me and, and prevented me from becoming everything you desire for me to do. But today we can find fresh life and victory and power. And it's not because we've just drummed up the determination to. No, Lord, our, the, the, the focus of our determination is to trust you. Is to look to you. To, to receive from you all that is needed to do these things in our lives. So Lord, help us to find the right balance here between what, what work belongs to you and what work belongs to us. To, to leave in your hands what only you can do, but to take seriously the things you've called us to do. And I pray that you would be applying these things to each of our lives, because every one of us here, I know, has something that we can lay aside for you and something we can take up for you for the coming year. Help us to fight back against the despair around us with the joy that comes from life in Christ. Help us to push back against the, the, the world and the flesh and the devil that are at constant war with us to bring us down and to live lives that are truly righteous and holy. And I am confident that if we do these things, that you will receive glory on earth as it is in heaven. And that is our heart's desire. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.